Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Blog Talk Radio Network and the Big Talker Podcast live from Washington, D.C. I'm Burke Allen in the home studio, as most of us are now in something of a self-quarantine or at least social isolation as we deal with this pandemic situation. If you'd like to be a part of the program, we'd love to hear from you. Our number 516-418-5635, 516-418-5635, and got a great guest today. It's my buddy Jack Owens. I've known Jack for many years now, and Jack has become sort of our go-to guy for any big law enforcement stories. We're going to get into a couple of them. There's a new HBO special about the Atlanta child murders coming up. Jack was part of the team that investigated that. Uh, talked to him about the Clint Eastwood movie uh, about Richard Jewell uh, based on the Atlantic uh, Atlanta Olympic bombings, 1996. Jack also involved in that investigation. He was a uh, lifetime FBI field agent, SWAT team member from their Birmingham office. Also want to touch on uh, something that I, I read uh, earlier today about a potential threat to Asian Americans amid the coronavirus epidemic that the FBI uh, has put out as an advisory out of one of their offices, I believe in Houston. Jack Owens is our guest today, and uh, Jack is also a fine writer and has written a series of novels about a serial killer named Pac, as well as a, a book uh, called Don't Shoot, We're Republicans, about his time <laughs> in the FBI. Hey, Jack, thanks for being here today. Hello, Burke. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I always look forward to it. Now, perhaps amongst all of your many accomplishments in life uh, that we just rattled on about, the most unusual one is that you, of all things, were a contestant on the CBS television <laughs> show Big Brother. I, I have to yeah. ask how that gets onto a former FBI field agent's resume. Well, as I was happily, very happily in retirement, in uh, 2004, big 2003, looking at an upcoming season of Big Brother, uh, my wife and I were talking about how the show was really what I did for 30 years. It involved surveillances and reading people, trying to figure out whether they're lying to me or not, forming allowances, alliances and getting involved in competitions. I mean, it was right up my alley, Bert. So I I auditioned in uh, Birmingham, then Atlanta, then Los Angeles, and lo and behold, they picked me for the cast of Big Brother 4, and I had a great time the whole summer, 2003, that year. It's amazing, really, to think about it. How does the audition process work for something like that? It involves um, initially going into a hotel location, locations first in Birmingham, then in Atlanta, where uh, in a quiet room I was asked a number of questions and grilled about uh, isolation and confinement if I could be away from my family and uh, a lot of most of it was fun though what i'm saying sounds like it was arduous it wasn't it was just a big day of fun but finally after doing well in birmingham and atlanta uh, cbs asked me to come to los angeles 
to Universal Studios to uh, try out their Universal Studios uh, complex. Went on a big sound stage in front of an audience, was asked a lot of questions and um, this and that, how I would behave in competitions and did I enjoy uh, being in front of 85 cameras for three wow. months, including uh, bathroom and shower. You know, <laughs> it's, I, I had never done that. I mean, who has? As far and as we I know. Thought, well, <laughs> right, <laughs> as far as we know, good point. It, it wasn't like when I was growing up in McDowell County and we'd take a ride over Peel Chestnut Mountain in the Pocahontas, Virginia. That was always a thrill for me, going from one state to another, the bottom of West Virginia into the into the top top of Virginia. It was a big thrill for me. This was the most incredible experience for an FBI agent who worked undercover for four years against uh, hostile intelligence services during the Cold War. In other words, the communists. You know, as I think about that time when I worked against uh, other spies, and you think about what the communists do to their own population, and we can think about China, too, and how they're dealing with their population during the pandemic. But, you know, when you look at uh, the Eastern European countries, you look at Moscow, they never, they never have a picture window inviting people to look at their society. There's always a wall there, sure. and, and they're still at it. Putin is a thug. He's involved in organized crime. He, he in, in Russia today, organized crime is part of the government, whereas with a Burke, we do it a little differently. Organized crime is not a government. It's separate from the government, so it gives <laughs> the FBI plenty of uh, time, t- information and time to go at these people. I, I loved my career, but dealing with um, Russians who were hostile to America, that was one of the things I liked best. I liked taking them down a notch and being in a small, if I could put it this way, outback office, FBI office like Birmingham. You know, the Russians are so arrogant. They think the FBI only exists in the big cities of Washington, New York, and San Francisco. Well, we're everywhere, Burke, and we got them good in a lot of cases. My undercover work was going really, really well, really well until uh, uh, something broke down. We later found out we had a spy, a traitor in the FBI itself. And uh, my, my case went up in flames, but I loved the work, but being on big brother was a nice break for me after I retired in 2003. I mean, who can, who can say they've done things like that? It's just a wonderful way to enjoy life, enjoy retirement. And, you know, Burke meet some really nice people. The people who run Big Brother, who run CBS, I found them at the highest level and down to the lowest to be as enchanting and and nice as people in West Virginia. It was a terrific experience. I wouldn't do it again, though, because 
I, I now value, completely value my privacy, and I'm able to write whenever I want to. And have had five books published, and um, I'm not going to go back on Big Brother. Of course, they haven't asked me asked me to. So it works out good for both parties, I guess. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> well, good, good point. I'm talking with Jack Owens. He's a uh, lifetime field agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, SWAT team member for the FBI for a long time. And, and I wanted to start the conversation with you, Jack, about Big Brother, because uh, yeah. you did something in retirement that's very similar to what millions, hundreds of millions of Americans are doing right now in the midst of this global pandemic. You did it gosh, yeah. 15 years ago, though, in terms of, of living in a form of isolation where you yeah. were you know, somewhat cut off from the rest of the world. And, and there was a lot of talk when that show first came on about how that would affect folks psychologically to be cut off yes. from the outside world. And, and, you know, we all now, to a certain extent, are doing that. And I wonder if, if you've had time to sort of reflect on the parallels between your time in Big Brother and what everybody's going through now. I, I have. Um, for example, right now I'm sheltering in place atop Red Mountain in Birmingham with my wife, Pat. We can see the whole city. It's a beautiful day here. But we're not leaving the house and CBS uh, thinking of similar circumstances where you take 14 people and you put them in a house, which is really a CBS studio with 85 cameras, and you give them a backyard with a tiny little pool, and you wonder over three months how that is going to affect people. But I can tell you, Bert, as much training as I had in dealing with adversity and odd situations that three months being isolated in big brother with uh, people half my age basically i I found it pretty stressful and it it wasn't so much a heavy load because so much of it was interesting but it did wear on me after weeks and weeks and then months and months you're around the same people all the time you can't get away from them and you compete with them for food for prizes, for money, and it does wear on you. I did enjoy the whole experience. I look back on it as something that very few people ever get the opportunity to do. And having done it, I'm grateful. You know, it's kind of like writing, Bert. Writing is not fun. Having written is fun. Having produced a product and hopefully get it published. That is thrilling, thrilling to me. But that time on Big Brother, I made friends that I still cherish, and those people were very nice to me. I was 58 years old, but at that time the oldest person ever on Big Brother, and they they, they treated me like a mascot, the other cast members. They didn't <laughs> want me to get hurt. <laughs> They wanted me to be in good good health, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed their company. At, at 58, the, the next youngest person down from me was in, uh, in the low 30s. You were the symbolic yeah. old guy on that season of Big Brother. That's amazing. I, I was. One of the directors was so unkind in a, in a laughing way. He said, well, Jack, you know, you came along at the right time. We needed a geezer. 
for Big Brother 4, and you're it. <laughs> you were the token geezer at 58. Good Lord. <laughs> the token the token geezer. But I, I met people I would have never met. And coming, it's so odd to think of this, Bert. When I was working undercover against hostile intelligence services, primarily in uh, the Soviet Union, I, as an FBI agent in Birmingham, I could not be photographed or get my picture in the newspapers here because it would expose, perhaps, expose my appearance to uh, spies that we were working against. So for for the whole four years I worked undercover, I stayed completely around, away from the press, completely away from TV studios and TV cameras. And then I retired, and what do I do? I go on a show that's televised before 7 million people three times a week and <laughs> spend the whole summer doing that. Just and a total interesting clip. thing. <laughs> really, it was. I had never. Maybe your viewers, your listeners, I should say, have experienced this. I had never visited Mexico in my in my long life in the bureau and elsewhere. But during the game, I got down the last five people, and I was evicted from the game, which is you don't want to happen to you. You lose half a million dollars, right. and. I was sent by CBS to this beautiful village uh, on the Pacific coast near Puerto Vallarta. Spent three weeks there in isolation, uh, although we were with each other and we could, could watch TV and this and that. But it wasn't total isolation. But I found, I found Mexico, the people in Mexico, to be delightful in every way. Very industrious people. They they were very sociable and they liked to to dance in the village square. And we were invited to dance with them. I just had a terrific experience. I mean, who who gets to do things like this? That is a crazy bit of your resume. I just had to ask you about it. it. And especially with, like I said, with the correlation between what we're all dealing with now with isolation, and and you were isolated. However, you were isolated in front of seven million people three times a week <laughs> on Big Brother. So, uh, with the, yeah. with the advent of the internet and CBS All Access, I got to go back and look at those old episodes. Hey, if you're just yeah. joining us. On the Big Talker podcast, uh, Jack Owens is our guest today. He's a, a retired FBI field agent, spent over 30 years with the Bureau. And if you'd like to be a part of the show, we'd love to hear from you at 516-418-5635. You can also send us a text message in our chat room here at the Big Talker podcast, which is brought to you by our friends at Speaker Match, the United States' largest online virtual speakers bureau and the speaking world in a whole different uh, way right now, reinventing itself as speakers are speaking virtually. If you'd like to find out more, if you're a meeting planner or a speaker, log on to speakermatch.com. All right, Jack, I've got some, some FBI stuff I want to ask you about. And first okay. and foremost, I understand that uh, that HBO has a, a new series coming out, or a new special, I, I should say, about the Atlanta child murders that happened back in the late 70s. And for our listeners who are too young to remember this, this was just a horribly scary time in Atlanta, Georgia. You were close by. You were in Birmingham. Eventually, uh, a gentleman named Wayne Williams was uh, was arrested 
and uh, is, I believe, still in jail, although not arrested, yeah. as I remember, for the, uh, the murder of the kids. He was arrested for murder of a couple of adults. Um, you were actually involved to a certain extent in that investigation. I wanted to see what you remember about it and if you think uh, the right guy is behind bars, because apparently, in, in, because of this HBO special, uh, in part, the, the mayor of Atlanta has announced that they're re-examining the evidence from that case. So tell me what you remember, and did, did the FBI get their man? Yes, we did, Burke. I, I welcome uh, any re-examination or look at what Wayne Williams did uh, as the uh, child murderer killer in Atlanta, serial killer. The FBI got it right. We convicted him on an enormous amount of hair and fiber evidence. We, uh, our profilers at, the Marine, uh, at Quantico and the FBI headquarters decided that after a year and a half or so that the serial killer in Atlanta who had given up a lot of evidence to us, to law enforcement, dumping bodies on land, we conc- the profilers concluded that the perpetrator, the murderer, was going to start dumping bodies of young black teenage males into the Chattahoochee River and that we should put teams of agent, agents and local law enforcement to watch the river all night long, sundown to sunup, to see if indeed that happened. And I was over in Birmingham. I had followed what was going on in Atlanta. The city was being terrorized. Their children murdered. It was horrible. The anxiety level was astronomical. I felt bad for our sister city over there. And FBI headquarters decided to go ahead and form teams for the bridges. And I was selected in Birmingham along with an agent we'll call Greg, a really dear friend of mine, uh, first office agent at the time. And I went to Atlanta in 1981, and the city had been terrorized for almost two years by them. By then, I was assigned to a bridge, one one bridge below the, the Jackson Parkway Bridge. And I, I, with two Atlanta detectives, sat on my bridge, all night long, watching, watching, watching. Nothing happened. We would take periodic, uh, periodic breaks just to uh, get our blood flowing and and go to a Waffle House to get pick up coffee and bring it back. And you know, Waffle House waitresses are notorious, Burke. They know everything. <laughs> they oh, yeah. they meet so many inter- interesting people. We were trying not to stick out, sitting watching these bridges we were in plain clothes and dull looking fbi and birmingham and the atlanta pd cars unmarked so one night when i went into the waffle house to pick up our coffee i was waiting for the coffee and i was sitting at a booth and one of the marvelous waitresses leaned in and said to me very quiet very quietly and mysteriously hey did you guys catch that guy yet Oh wow! She well, she busted you. She did. She did. She she. I just smelled of cop, I guess, or agent. But I was sitting there, and I just chuckled and went back to the car and thinking, no, I shouldn't go. We shouldn't go to the Waffle House anymore. We've been made 
But you fool the we Russian spies, but you can't fool the Waffle House waitress. <laughs> right. Unbelievable. That's job. a great way. That's a great way to put it, Burke. But here is the profile as agents far smarter than I am put together at the FBI Academy, Marine Corps Base Quantico. The profile was we're looking for a black male in his mid-20s because he could obviously go into uh, black neighborhoods and not stand out. I mean, that was obvious. That was a good call. And then the, the, the profile got very detailed, amazing profile. Profilers told us, and this is all based on good police work at crime scenes, gathering evidence to present to the profilers at FBI Academy. The profile was this this mid-20s male is highly intelligent. He wants to successfully challenge law enforcement, and he feels strongly he can get away with these murders, that he can beat us, that he's smarter, far smarter than we are, that we'll never catch him, that he'll strangle these kids, teenage males, he'll strangle them as long as he wants, and he'll get away with it. We knew, or we were told by the profilers, that he would be driving a station wagon, that hair and fiber from the rugs of the victim, where some of them were killed, would be in the back of the station wagon, that the perpetrator would own a big dog, a police-style dog like for Williams it was a collie or maybe a German shepherd, and that there'd be hairs in the back from the dog as well, and that he would drive up on a bridge and dump a body in the Chattahoochee. He was, it was coming. We just needed to sit tight. The initial task force of which I was a member, we were assigned for a two-week period. And after two weeks, solid weeks, night after night, 14 nights of sitting on my bridge, I was was ready to come home. And lo and behold, with about two hours left of sunup in the spring, Wayne Williams drove his station wagon out on the Parkway Bridge, Jackson Parkway Bridge, and dumped the body of Nathaniel Carter into the Chattahoochee River. Big splash at the water's edge underneath the bridge. We had police cadets, bless their hearts, down in that mosquito and snake-infested place near the water, and they had radios, walkie-talkies. And that the police cadet on that bridge said, hey, somebody just dumped something real big. And an FBI agent, my, one of my friends named Greg, he had seen what we now, who we now know was Wayne Williams. This huge garbage bag dumped the body over the bridge and it splashed. And then he pulled away and left. We converged on it. I say we. I didn't leave my bridge. I didn't have authority to leave my bridge. But local Atlanta PD cars and FBI cars swooped down on Wayne Williams and pulled him over near the the beltway around Atlanta. He gets out of the car and says, hey, hey, I bet you stopped me in all these murders around here, didn't you? What an odd thing to say. 
How did he know why we stopped him? He just gave himself up right then and there. And we knew he had the right guy, but <laughs> this will show in the mini HBO miniseries, I'm certain, a, a supervisor back in the FBI office after Williams was interviewed by Greg and PD decided to let Williams go, drive home, release him. And the guys I was with in our car, we came, I jumped through the roof. He said, no, you can't let him go. You got to hold him. You got to arrest him. Take him downtown, as they say in the movies, and interview him, interrogate him. Well, he was released. He drove home, and uh, we bumper-locked him, close surveillance by car thereafter. We were going to do that the rest of his life if we had to. (laughs) And eventually, eventually we got the uh, warrant to arrest him, and we did, searched his car, searched his house, found all kinds of evidence. But Burke, he never confessed which has saved him from the death penalty. We just convicted him on hairs and fiber evidence. People since that trial have said he's innocent. We got the wrong guy. But here's what happened. After we arrested Williams, there were no more murders of black teenage uh, males. Other than the normal course of crime in Atlanta. There was nothing else similar. We got him. We got the right guy. But there Jack Owens those is our guest, and he's uh, he was involved he in this uh, this whole thing. It, it's uh, the HBO series. I think begins April fifth, called "Atlanta's yes. Missing and Murdered: The Lost Children." All right, Jack. We got a couple of minutes left. Quickly, tell me okay. your thoughts if you saw it on the uh, the Clint Eastwood Richard Jewell movie, where the uh, the FBI did not come across looking great. No. It looked like in the Richard Jewell movie, and I like Clint Eastwood's movies, but I thought he was really off base in this one. He had an FBI agent give information to a female reporter in exchange for a sexual favors. Right. Now, I, I know FBI agents, and certainly me. I'm no angel. I'm no goody two-shoes. But there's not an agent in my lifetime in the Bureau who would have done that who would have given up the best job in the world to have sex with a female reporter and to get information from her, it just wouldn't have happened. I just based it on my love for the Bureau, my respect for the integrity of my fellow agents. I just don't think that would have happened. We took our work very seriously over the Olympic Park bombing. Plus, I was involved in that case to my dismay Eric Rudolph, who set that bomb off and not Richard Jewell over in Centennial Park in Atlanta, he came to Birmingham. And you know what he did when he was there? What's that? He blew up an abortion clinic on the south side of Birmingham, and he killed a police officer off-duty, and he maimed a nurse, took most of her sight away. And I heard that bomb go off. I was about a mile and a half away, up on my up the 15th floor of the FBI office in Birmingham. I heard it go off, and it sounded like the whole world had blown up. It was that loud. But citizens, this is how you this is how you win in law enforcement. 
citizens spotted Eric Rudolph run into his car, got a good description on of him, got a license plate, and he's the same Eric Rudolph who ran to the hills, the beautiful hills of western North Carolina, and disappeared for years. We couldn't find him. My son worked that case. My son's been in the FBI now 32 years. He was there looking for Eric Rudolph. One of my friends from Birmingham went up there in the mountains to look for him. And by the way, in that case, that bombing with Eric Rudolph, local people decided they were going to support Rudolph, and they did. One of them fired into the FBI compound and just missed the head of one of my dear friends. Wow. And the, wow. the bullet... Burke, you know, I don't have any hair, so to speak. The bullet went through my friend's thick hair. If it had been shot at me, I would have been a goner. I don't have any hair to shoot through. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. So at the end of the day, you say Richard Jewell, good movie, not an accurate portrayal of the uh, the FBI. No. No. Uh, Wayne Williams, the FBI, got their man. The next time we're on, we're going to talk about this... uh, this profiling of Asian Americans the FBI is talking about happening now in the okay. wake of the pandemic, but we are out of time. Jack Owens, Thank our you, guest Bert. today, always a pleasure to have you on. Best of luck with the books. Check out Jack Thank online you. at Amazon.com. You're welcome, sir. Thank uh, you, and Bert. pick Take up care, one of friend. his books anytime. Thank you, sir. And thank Appreciate you for listening wherever you are out there. Stay safe. Keep your family close. We love you. Appreciate you listening. Thanks, everybody.